Hi, this is Savannah. And this is Brian from the Dorky Diva Show. And you're listening to Star Wars. The best place for below average Star Wars. In a world where people need 80s and 90s movie reviews, two regular Geordies combine forces to bring you the Brother to Brother 80s and 90s movie review podcast. Check them out on Twitter, YouTube, and all decent podcast vendors. Hello there, and welcome to the Star Wars Show, the best place for below average Star Wars. I am the Joy Jedi Pete. I'm Jason Hondo Ling. And I'm Kat Rizyalka. And we are back to talk more Book of Boba Fett Season 1. Today we will be reviewing Chapter 4, The Gathering Storm, written by John Favreau and directed by Kevin Tancheron. Again, they're going to deep dive this. We're going to be talking spoilers. If you haven't watched Chapter 4 of Season 1 of The Book of Boba Fett yet, I definitely recommend pausing this podcast, going and watching it, and then coming back. Otherwise, you are going to have sort of not only the plot in the story, but also every little Easter egg that was spotted, spoiled for you as well, because we are going to deep dive review it. Um, Kat, we'll go straight to you. What was your sort of overall thoughts on the episode? I really liked this episode. I don't think it's my favourite of, of the series so far, but what The Gathering Storm did is it's really sort of set up the story now it's brought the flashbacks right up now to the events of the mandalorian and present day boba fett and i think its title the gathering storm really reflects what the story was about it's boba fett gathering the people he trusts together gathering his armor and weaponry back gathering a plan and you can see now it's all coming to, it's all coming together and there's a tension now before the storm breaks. Definitely. I think for me, this was a slower moving episode. It was a bit longer as well than the last one. Um, but I did feel it was sort of perfect setup to sort of the main meat of this whole series that we're going to get in the sort of the next three episodes. Um, Jason, what was sort of your overall thoughts on the episode? Yep. Um, what can I say? I really enjoyed it. Um, it was, as we said, it's definitely a setup episode. Um, so there was actually, you know, a lot going on. Um, there was a few bits that really struck struck me, and I enjoyed. I loved the fact that the um, the biker gang are referred to as the mods um, because, obviously, you know, classic. UK history, you've got the mods and rockers side, and obviously the mods were the ones that were always riding around on the um, bikes, so I thought that was a nice little touch in itself. Yeah, I think 
one of the things that really sort of me and Kat's already mentioned is that, you know, we saw the episode with sort of a back to flashback, but this yeah. back to flashback essentially gets us right up to date with the current story. Um, so let's talk about that. Obviously, in the back to flashback, we sort of see Boba dealing with the aftermath of losing his Tuscan friends, his Tuscan family. Um, and he sort of got his eyes on his ship, um, Slave One, which is in Jabba's palace where he left it. Um, obviously being guarded. And obviously he, you know, doesn't really have any blasters. He's got a couple of Gaddafi sticks. He's got a he's got a rifle. But other than that, he's he's worried about getting picked off, I suppose. Um and essentially we get from that point on, we get sort of his first encounter with Fennec Shand, which ties exactly into the Mandalorian season one. Um we sort of hear the Mandalorian theme play a little bit. And we see sort of a flash of light fly off planet, which is the Razor Crest. So the Mando has left the planet, and then we see sort of Boba finding Fennec and taking Fennec uh, to save her life, essentially. You know, she's got the gut shot, which is, you know, going to kill her. Um, you know, there's no back of tanks, there's no medics around. So the only choice Boba has is to take Fennec Shand to um, one of these. I don't know what the term would be. Is it a. Sort of a a modder like someone who mods bodies. Uh, I the, think they call him the modifier. Yeah, and in the show they called it the mod parlor. That's right. So yeah, so we, we we go to the mod parlor, which is you know it ties into sort of these characters we met last episode, you know, the younger people who who are into body modifications. Um, so it sort of ties us back to that. That's probably where these people went, came and spend their money and get their modifications done themselves. Um. And we sort of see the process of Fennec being saved. Um, and then what I loved was it looks like Boba takes Fennec back to where he found her for her to wake up. It looks looks very similar. Um, you know, Fennec wakes up. Um, Boba asks who she is. She says, I take it I'm worth more alive than dead. He says, you are, but I'm not after money. He just wants our help getting his ship back to which she says no problem let's do it um we then sort of have the the um sort of scouting of Jawa's palace uh fennec using sort of her master assassin um techniques of spying on targets to scope the place out um let's just talk a bit about that sort of what were your thoughts on on how we dealt with the scene from the mandalorian i thought it was I like the fact we didn't spend too much time there. Like we just because we've already seen it. Essentially, we just saw Boba find Fennec, and then it was onto the next bit that we haven't seen yet, which I thought was really good. What did you think about that, Jason? Yeah, no, completely. Um, and I like the way it tied in. Obviously, now we're seeing with the modifier, um, and I've got to drop this in because um, I didn't know anything about the guy playing the modifier, but um, today's. Um, They've dropped a character poster, and apparently he's played by a guy who's a musician called Thundercat. Um, and I'm reliably informed by a um, good friend of mine, Ian Slater, that um, Thundercat's music is actually the music that's playing in the parlour, which is obviously really different. So you get this sense that Boba, you know, um, the modifier that actually says to him, you know, you're a bit young for this place. 
Um, so obviously, whereas like, you know, many people like myself have got tattoos um, on Tatooine, they go and get themselves a few um, mechanical parts, which I thought was um, quite an interesting thing to play out. Um, and this guy, the way he sort of, you know, he rebuilds Fennec Shand and you can tell he's, he's an artist. He's not a, a surgeon. Um, and then when obviously Boba says, well, aren't you going to close her up? And he says, what, cover up all that machinery? I just really liked the whole idea that, you know, like a tattooist, this this was art to him and he took a lot of pride in what he'd done. But at the same time, as soon as Boba had said that Fennec was going to die, this guy said, right, you know, you don't have to ask me twice now. You should have said that in the first place. Um, so, yeah, I really enjoyed this, you know, this tiny little scene. And like you say, then seeing Fennec Shand wake up, Boba was there. And then obviously um, giving her the, um, do they call it the black melon or something like that? Um, whatever it is they're getting the water from. Um, I just thought that was quite funny in the way he said, you know, oh, eventually you'll you'll really want it all the time sort of thing. Um, but no, I just thought this was good. It it showed us the build-up to how Boba Fett and um, Fennec Shand have developed their relationship. And I, yeah, it was a good part. Kat, what were your thoughts on sort of the the introduction of Boba and Fennec, similar to what we saw in The Mandalorian, and then thoughts on like the, the same sequence we've just discussed there? Yeah, it was really cool. It was a really good tie-in to um, the Gunslinger episode from The Mandalorian. The only difference being that in The Mandalorian, when Boba Fett sort of walks up to Fennec, he's making spur noises with his um, boots, even though he doesn't wear spurs. But that wasn't present here in the book of Boba Fett. So you could say that's a slight continuity error. I've got a a theory on that. I think, obviously... You know, I think that's more of a a noise for us as opposed to a noise in the actual show. Like that's the tell us in season one that oh, this is Boba Fett. Yeah, where you could now be right. We, where here we can see Boba Fett. If that makes sense. Yeah, you could be right because that's what they did in um, episode um, five. They just had that noise, even though he doesn't wear spurs, just to sort of say, well, look, he's a space. He's like a space gunslinger. But yeah, the introduction between um, Fennec and Boba Fett, it answers all of the questions that we sort of had left over from that episode in The Mandalorian of how Fennec survived. Um, I wonder, is that interest of Bantha as an ambulance, though? I mean, they go at one pace, which is a prod. It's a it's a miracle that Fennec actually made it to Mos Eisley at that pace, alive. Um, and the mod parlor, it was something very new, very fresh. Just like Jason said, it did feel like sort of the Star Wars equivalent to a tattoo parlor. And there was some, and the practical effects that they then use for when the modifier is rebuilding uh, Fennec's torso, so good. It felt like something out of Episode Five, mixed with a bit of Episode Three when they're rebuilding Vader. And it was, yeah, it was sort of more of an art rather than a surgery. 
it was really well done and the modifier actually his um one of his sort of appendages that he can put on is actually a super battle droid hand which is a quite a cool little touch because obviously they do they do tread that line between human and droid a lot and i also i also love the fact that his um his other hand he's got glitter nail polish and i'm super excited that glitter nail polish is into the star wars universe you can definitely uh, put plenty on now for the next convention. Absolutely. It's canon now. So you can 100% do that. What were your thoughts on um, sort of Boba and Fennec scouting out um, Jabba's hangar? I love the little sort of probe droid, almost ball that she had. I suppose it's a probe droid. Um, but I like how it sort of scouted the whole planet, the whole hang her out, then came back and showed them sort of a, where all the guards were based. That was really cool. It reminded me actually a bit like the snitch from Harry Potter in the fact that it's this, this tiny little, you know, round droid that you can hardly see and the way it's just scouting out the palace, but also making then this visual representation that Fennec can use. It makes perfect sense. Fennec is an assassin. She needs to know exits, entrances, how many guards there are to any place that she's trying to break into. And I think it just shows that, you know, she's the gadget gal of the pair, where as Boba Fett has sort of got all the strength, she's got all these cool gadgets that she likes showing off. I mean, that rifle of hers has everything. It's got a knife in it. It's got a probe droid in it. I'm just I'm just waiting for her to take some snacks out of that rifle. Yeah, I think it's the army Swiss knife of the Star Wars galaxy. <laughs> We have some really cool scenes with sort of, you know, the night before they're going to take back the ship. Um, we see sort of Boba spend a lot of time with his banter, you know, feeding his banter meat. And then, you know, here we see him sort of saying goodbye to his banter, um, sort of wishes it luck in the June Sea. Um, sort of a different side of Boba that we've seen, you know, um, almost as if the, the way the Tuscans love their animals is rubbed off on Boba, would you say, Jason? Yeah, I absolutely love this. And it's quite funny. I've actually, this afternoon, um, whilst I was waiting to sort a few things out, I watched an old episode of um, Animal Park about Longleat. And the, the keepers with their pet, with their animals there, just reminded me of Boba with his panther. And I thought, this is absolutely brilliant. The way they showed a more human side to Boba Fett. Um, and I think at one point Fennec Shan says um, something like, um, oh, it's later on in the episode. She basically says Tuscan Raiders, you know, they um, they can't be beaten like that. And I just thought, yeah, we've seen a softer side to the Tuscan Raiders. And there's, you know, whether they're getting run over by speeder bikes or whatever. And I I think the whole thing with Boba Fett with this point is we're starting to see that he's no longer a bounty hunter. He's no longer, you know, this mercenary. He's he's starting to feel like he's found his place. And, you know, we're now starting to understand, whereas beforehand, you know, it was like, what's his determination to take over Jabba's palace? And now we're seeing why he want 
you know, he's really got this plan in place. Um, and it is more of a plan than I think we realised. Definitely. Cut that. From what I've seen brought by, you know, the way he was with the run call last episode, the where he is in this episode with the Panther, it reminds me a lot of Ezra and how Ezra is with animals in, in Star Wars Rebels. He has like a strong connection to the animals using the Force. Um, and we see Boba sort of a strong connection just naturally with the animals here. Um, do you think we're going to see him sort of befriend any other animals in the rest of the season? Definitely. If any, if there's one thing that the book of Boba Fett is proving, is that when it comes to animals, Boba Fett is a massive softy. He is so good with animals. I think he's just... I wonder if it's because he's sort of been quite a loner, a lone bounty hunter for most of his life. He's sort of finding a lot of companionship with animals. And he doesn't have to worry about animals double-crossing him, betraying him, selling him out. So I think he's got a lot of respect and loyalty towards his animals because of that. So, you know, to see him with his banther and he's there, go, go make baby banthers. It's just such a sweet moment. And I love the look Fennec gives him. She's like, what, what are you doing, Boba Fett? She's just, she doesn't understand it. But Boba Fett doesn't care. And he's there giving the banther a head rub before she goes. And it's it's just so cute. I'd, I'd happily have the book, One Man and His Banther. It's just so, <laughs> it's just so sweet. Definitely. And I would definitely buy the action figure, the Lux series Boba Fett with the banther in the section scale. Please, Hasbro. Um, oh, no, it could be a rancor. Well, you wouldn't have it as a that would just be a standard on the shelf figure. You mean it wouldn't be a wouldn't be a, uh, <laughs> a Hasbro Pulse one, um, you know, similar to the Jubak and the the speeders yeah. that we had for Luke and Ray in the series. Um, next up, we have sort of the the infiltration of Jabba's hangar and lower quadrants, like the kitchen. Um, let's just go straight to you, Cap. What were your favorite things about? the whole heist to take back the fire spray. Oh, I think I've got to say my favorite part here is all the droid cameos. I thought that was brilliant. I mean, we start off with EV929, who we see as sort of master of Jabba's palace in episode um, six. And here he's actually like a sous chef. He's making something for Bib Fortuna in a pot with frogs. Um, so to see him back from the original trilogy and this was really cool and then uh, over busy as a commie chef we have the um, COO cook droid with all his big uh, chopping chopping cleavers attacking what looks like leeks and maybe onions and I sort of love then when he does his like spinning blades when Boba Fett enters the kitchen it felt like General Grievous but it also reminds Reminded me of Raiders of the Lost Ark when um, one of the fighters has a sword. Um, Boba Fett's just standing there waiting then for Fennec to come behind. It reminded me of Raiders of the Lost Ark where the sword fighter is just swinging his blades and Indy just shoots him. And Fennec just comes behind with her like laser cutter and takes off its head. So that was a really, really cool scene, I thought. And then we have the cute little LEP droids. Bunny, bunny droid, as I'm calling, as I'm calling it, and 
what I loved about this scene was we didn't need it in the story. We didn't need to see the droids. We certainly didn't need to see Boba Fett trying to chase down this little lep droid. But it adds so much humour to the story, which I think having these light-hearted moments is quite is really important because there's a lot of seriousness to the book of Boba Fett, but they never take it too serious. So I like having these much more light-hearted moments where we get to see um, Boba Fett and Fennec being a bit more a bit more normal and perhaps relatable. And that moment where he grabs the uh, the lep droid and just holds it by the neck and he's just like, do you know who I am? It's just a little droid, dude. Chill out. And the droid gets so scared it shuts itself off. I, I honestly, it's just, it's just, you couldn't, you couldn't expect that from this episode whatsoever. And I think the surprisingness of this droid encounter was what made it so special. Yeah, I, I love the droid encounters. And I think you're spot on when you say some much needed humour. You know, the story is very deep. You know, we've got Boba who, you know, had an absent father in Django, as we'll see in the flashbacks. Um, has this newfound family of the Tuscans and their mascad. And he can't help them. He's trying to help them, but he can't help them. Um, so, you know, it's quite sad and deep. You know, Star Wars is tragedy, as they say. But, you know, here we have a bit of humour just to, just to sort of help us help us get through it. Um, am I right in thinking that the, the chef droid who has all the arms, that's the same droid we saw in Attack of the Clones who serves R2-D2 on the um, refugee cruiser? It is. It is the same droid. And the LEP droids, uh, or LEP droids, they first come from the Clone Wars. They featured throughout Star Wars novels. And the sound effect of the LEP droid, you can actually hear in Maz Kanata's Castle in The Force Awakens. And what I loved about the droid is that they, they, they call for the rat catcher. And that droid is obviously being used as a rat catcher in Jabba's Palace. Yeah, it's really cool. Um because you sort of got this rabbit chasing these rats. Again, it's just something totally unexpected. Um, you don't when they actually call for the rat catcher, you do wonder what or who is going to turn up, and then this little droid sort of scurries in. And I think it, it seems to be doing a good job because the amount of rats compared to episodes uh, six definitely seems to have decreased in Jabba's Palace. It does indeed, it does indeed. I was thinking, you know, there's a lot of food being prepared there, and you know, we see how fat Bib Fortuna gets once he takes over uh, being the crime boss. So I was thinking, you know, if you know Java was a fat slug, Bib Fortuna becomes a glutinous pig. Maybe it is the curse of whoever sits on the throne to become fat. So will we see a fat fet in season two? I don't, no, I so. don't think so. No, because he that's the one thing I liked about, I think it was in the previous episode with the um, food thing. And he said, no, I, I, I don't need the food. Um, I, this is a, that is what he's showing is he's a very different sort of leader to these two that have gone before him. Um, and yeah, I don't think we'll see a fat boba, that's for sure. No, I think the food kind of acts like a metaphor as, you know, the greed of power, the greed of yeah. money, and that sort of all-consuming greed when you reach power. I think that's sort of what the food and the fatness of Jabba the Hutt and Bib Fortuna sort of represents is that they are 
you know, they're just gluttonous for power, whereas Boba Fett isn't. Yeah, definitely. Um, I found the overall sort of heist, I suppose it's a heist is what I would call it, you know, the way they sneak in through the drain, uh, they sneak through the kitchen and into the hangar. Um, and it's only when they get the hangars, when they come under attack from um, sort of Bib Fortuna's henchmen. Um, one thing I did notice is that there was a couple of Gamorrean guards come out of nowhere and they don't die. And I'm wondering, are these the same Gamorreans who then become Boba's Gamorreans? I'm pretty sure it is, um, because that's obviously what's been hinted at before, because they've said how loyal those two were to both Jabba and Bib Fortuna. So I, that, as soon as I saw them, I thought... I noticed they were a little bit meatier. I, I felt they were a little bit bigger in this episode than they are in later in the earlier episodes or when we see them with Boba. So I'm wondering if, um, obviously, once Bib Fortuna had gone, maybe they lost a bit of weight. Well, they're certainly wearing more clothes and body armour. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cap, what were your favourite parts of the actual sort of firefight inside the hangout to get the fire spray, aka Slave One, back? Uh, this was a this is a really good scene. Um, it also, you know, explains where uh, the Slave One has been all this time. We know now it's been in Jabba's palace under the lockdown of uh, Bib Fortuna. Uh, one of the most impressive things I think is seeing sort of Fennec in in action. We've seen a bit of that in. The Mandalorian season two, we know how, how good she is as a fighter, but she takes down the Gamma Ring Guard with three punches. Three punches. Uh, I think that sort of shows off her martial arts prowess and she knows exactly where to hit. Um, just, I mean, she, I think you're right, those are definitely the same Gamma Ring So, you know, she's just taking down to disarm. And that was actually something I seemed to notice is that when Fennec was taking down, the Nicto and Weequay guards, she seemed to be hitting them in the arm or shoulder quite a bit. She was looking more to shoot to uh, disarm or hurt rather than uh, kill. So I think it sort of showed there that Fennec has, um, you know, she can hold herself back. She's not just an assassin. She's not just a killer. She'll, you know, she only kills when she has to. And her... You know her prowess there, and also that uh, one shot, that one perfect shot. Then when she manages to get the uh, the doors down for Boba Fett, you know she is one hundred percent a sharpshooter. Uh, doesn't doesn't miss anything. Um, Boba Fett's parking skills could be a bit under question. <laughs> I mean, he got the, he got the slave one in there. He wasn't getting it out particularly well. Uh, nearly took out most of that bit of sort of Jabba the Hutt's garage for for use of a better phrase. And again, it's, it's sort of that lightheartedness next to that seriousness. You've got the seriousness of Fennec taking down all those guards next to sort of lightheartedness of Boba doing a terrible job of reversing out of that garage. Yeah, and I think you hit the nail on the head as well when you were saying about, you know, Fennec is a master assassin. She is a master shot. If she's hitting you in the shoulder, it's because she's designed the shot to hit you in the shoulder. Um, and I think, you know, I think she's probably very aware that, you know, she's doing this as a debt to Boba Fett for saving her life. But it's like, she doesn't know at the time that Boba wants to take over. She just knows Boba wants his ship back. 
So it's like, you know, yeah, I'm going to help him take his ship back, but I'm not going to kill these people. I'm not going to piss off the crime lord so that the crime lord comes after me, if that makes sense. You know, it's, it's not, not her fight right now. She's just doing as she's told um, to sort of pay off the debt to Boba Fett and let's not make things worse for herself because uh, she's not really 100% sure of the situation she's in. Um, that comes about later, you know, when, you know, once they finally get out and um, she asks what Boba's going to be doing next and he says he's got a few, he's got a few, um, a few sort of um, queries. I can't remember what, he actually, what the actual line is, but it, it's essentially he's got a few um, tasks to do against people who have wronged him, essentially. Um, you know, and she asks Fennec where she once dropped off, and she pretty much says, I'll come along for the ride. I'll see what's going on. Yeah, I love. I actually love that bit because I think that was those two bonding as a character, as characters. Um, and obviously, you know, Fennec Shan could have quite easily, she's done what she said she was going to do, jump ship, but there's something that's holding her there. Um, which I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, that she's got a respect for Boba. And obviously when he rescued her and he, he said that he was Boba Fett and she said, no, Boba Fett's died. So she knew who Boba Fett was before he'd gone into the Sarlacc pit. So there's, there's almost this intrigue with her in that she's getting the opportunity to find out who Boba Fett is. Definitely. Obviously, you know, the first thing that he has to do is um, get revenge for the Tuscans who died, and he goes after the uh, the Raiders. Cat, what were your thoughts on, on this scene, how it was shot, how it was filmed, and were you happy, or were you sort of shaken by the, uh, the lust for revenge that Boba has? Oh, no, no. I was cheering at this point. Uh, those Nyctos totally deserved it. And I think the cinematography was amazing because you've got the Nikto bikers, you know, um, flying low over the sand and then behind them. And they can't hear it because of the sound of their bikes. And it's sort of it's almost like that sort of Jaws feeling of, you know, you can't see the shark coming, but he's there in the water coming closer. And that's what it felt like of. You had the stable one rising up behind, getting closer and closer, and then Boba Fett just laying loose with the laser cannons, um, completely obliterating those uh, Nikto speeder bikers, which they completely deserved for what they did. And it's it's this very powerful moment. Yes, I mean, you know, revenge is not the Jedi way, but this is a bounty hunter. This is a mercenary. This is Boba Fett. He, although he has morals, they, the Nikto guards, the, the, um, the Nikto speeder bikers, they hit him hard and they hit him personally. And he hits them even harder back. So I think, you know, in a way, that's part of his healing is the fact that, yes, he's taken revenge. It, no, it's not going to bring the Tuscans back but it is going to protect other Tuscan tribes and other uh, denizens of Tatooine from these very aggressive speeder bikers. So it was, I think it was part of his healing in the fact that Boba Fett can fly away from that, knowing that those Nyctos aren't going to hurt anybody else. Was this one of your favorite scenes of the episode, Jason? Yeah, it's uh, uh, like Kat says, 
the cinematography um, and also like when the credits come up and you see that image, the artwork of um, Slave One attacking them, it it was such a well shot scene. And obviously, you know, the fact that they didn't even see him coming, I think showed the arrogance of them, which is obviously a big part of their character. Um, and what I also liked was, you know, it, like Kat said there, you know, this was Boba getting revenge for the Tuscans. And I think that's, again, showing the more human side of Boba Fett. You know, it, uh, it's him getting revenge. Um, and he's also alluded earlier to the fact that he felt guilt over the fact that he tried to help the Tuscans. And he got them killed. And it's almost like he's, he's got this feeling that everyone he tries to help, he gets killed. Um, so I'm, I'm enjoying the way that they're building this character of Boba Fett. And, and um, I'll be honest, I'm getting really fed up with seeing people say, oh, Boba Fett should have stayed dead. Because this whole character that they're creating is someone that's come out of this Sarlacc pit and he could have just been hell-bent on revenge, but he survived it, and he's a survivor. And, yeah, I just think, for me, this series is bringing out a really human story, um, which is what Star Wars does, and that's what you need to look at it. It's the story side of it, not what you perceive it to be. After getting revenge for the Tuscans, um, he then goes in search of his armour, um, which he's struggling to see inside of the um, Sarlacc pit, which, you know, I think when they first get there and the ship's sort of hovering over the over the pit itself and he's trying to look in there, I think they assume it's dead. But no, yeah. it's not, not dead. And the Sarlacc attacks, well, to defend itself really, I suppose, um, and they sort of get dragged into it a little bit. The visuals are brilliant with the ship. I have to say I jumped. I I'm going to admit to this. I jumped when the Sarlacc came out. And I, uh, Anyone else jump? No. I was expecting no. it. <sighs> Proper horror big... movie vibes. Yeah, sorry. I'm not yep. into horror movies. But yeah, I did jump when that came out. And, you know, we see the exact same sort of sound effects that played when the tentacle grabs Lando's leg from Return of the Jedi plays when the tentacles grab Slave One, which yeah. I thought was really cool. Um, and then, obviously, you know, the sort of battle to get away from it. And we see the um, seismic charge get eaten by the Sarlacc. And you see it go off underneath the Satune Sea. And we see sort of the ripples go through the beast. From the outside, um, definitely killing it. As we can see, you know, we've seen what the seismic charge can do to TIE fighters and to asteroids. Um, and you know, it absolutely obliterates the Sarlacc and kills it. Um, what were your thoughts on sort of this entire sequence, Kat? This sequence did feel quite a bit like a horror movie to me, in the fact that you know, you've got these massive jaws, um, with these sort of you know, very fine needle like teeth, and it's sort of it's gross, it's creepy, but it's also really cool at the same time. The Again, the cinematography of this particular scene was brilliant. The way they, they shoot it from inside the Sarlacc, locking up 
that was a very different scene, makes it really stand out. In fact, as a scene, this one particular is probably one of my favourites so far in the series because it's just so brilliant, so visceral. Um, and, you know, Boba Fett's Slave One is sort of hovering just above, but it's getting closer. And, you know, as, a, as the audience, you sort of think, you know, don't get closer. You don't know if the Sarlacc is actually dead. And then you've got that massive pounce, which is definitely supposed to be a, a shock scare. Being a bit of a horror movie buff, I was kind of expecting that. So I I was fine. Uh, but I think it was definitely going to surprise a lot of fans watching it. And I mean, it took serious it took serious guts for Boba Fett to go back to the Sarlacc. I mean, he nearly died in there. So I think it honestly shows how you know how attached he is to Mandalor- his Mandalorian armor. We know it. We know it means a lot, a lot to him from the Mandalorian. But I think you know it was his his dad's armor, and it's like that last piece of Django he's got. So he's not gonna just let it. Uh, waste away inside the Sarlacc so and then we know he obviously says that you know Beskar won't be damaged by um, the stomach acids so you know we can definitely say now for sure that Boba Fett survived because he was wearing that armor anything else and he would have died within the Sarlacc and I think I think him well technically it was Fennec (laughs) destroying the the Sarlacc with that uh, seismic charge again that's sort of part of Boba Fett's healing he's destroyed the beast that tried to kill him and at the same time he's he's protecting Ta- Tatooine from the Sarlacc the Sarlacc is gone it's not going to eat anybody or anything else again so I think this is like Boba Fett you know paying off his debts his old debts so that he can start again with a fresh slate yeah, definitely. I think, as well, I think, you know, when the Tuscans were alive, I could see beautiful by me, like, giving up his Mandalorian heritage, but now they've gone, it's a bit like, well, what do I do when I need my armour back to be to be me? Um, I love the fact that after, he, after they killed the beast, that he went back in, sort of, without the armour, which means he was getting burned, um, looking for it. Um, obviously, he comes back out, and Fennec's like, "You're burning. Be careful." Um, and he's like, "It's not in there. There's only trash in there." Um, which to me sort of sets up for the next bit of the story, where it could be, you know, is he keeping an eye on Jawas? Does he see, like, after after this episode, after this flashback, you know, do we see him sort of scouting out traders? Does he see, um? I've forgotten the guy's name now, but... Um, Cobb Vanth. Cobb Vanth, yeah. Does he see Cobb Vanth by the armour? And that, is that how he knows where it is? And he keeps an eye on it. Um, you know, time will tell. But, you know, he comes out and this is where she tells him, you know, you need to back the tank. Um, and, you know, that's been very integral to this series here. Um, you know, we then see Boba coming out the back of the tank and the droid tells him that he's 100% healed now. So this could be the last back that flashback we get in the series. Um, I don't think it'll be the last flashback. I think it'll be the last back that one. But I can see us maybe getting some more flashbacks in the next few episodes. Maybe of him on Camino. There's like young Boba. Um, 
just to sort of again just 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 tie into this character and what he's been through uh, through his childhood and and adulthood. Um, what did you what did you guys make of sort of all of the stuff that happened um, in the present time, sort of after the after the banker flashback? Cat, um, if you want to run through sort of your your favorite bits of of what happens after the flashback sequence. Oh, lots of good stuff happens after that sequence. Um, I think perhaps one of the bits that really stood out for me is Black Kersatan drowning his sorrows uh, in the sanctuary. He's he's failed the um, the twins, so I don't think he got paid. Uh, so he's decided to drink his troubles away, and opposite him is a table full of gambling trandoshans. Now, if you remember from chapter one of the book of Boba Fett, uh, the Trandoshans came with tribute of a Wookiee pelt. Trandoshans hunt Wookiees. So obviously that obviously that was going to end badly. And you can see Black Kursatan getting angrier and angrier as he watches these Trandoshans with his um, knuckle rings yeah, electrocuting. And he completely loses it with them throws them on the floor and I mean it's it's like a bar fight between him and the Trandoshans but it's you know it's obviously very personal because he wants payback for the Wookiees they've been hurting although Black Crescentan has been sort of exiled from Kashyyyk he clearly he clearly still believes in his fellow Wookiees and their culture and I just sort of love that one Trandoshan hitting him with a bottle. What did that Trandoshan think that was going to do? Black Kersatan is like seven foot muscled gladiator and he hits him with a bottle. It's it's quite a pathetic move. And the look on his face, I mean, even though he's reptilian, he realises he's made the biggest mistake of his life. Fantastic uh, bit of um, sort of, this, I think it's a mix of CGI and and props uh, on their faces. Fantastic bit of both there. And um, Black Crescentan grabs him. Then Garza Whip tries to de-escalate the situation. Really brilliantly. She's being a brilliant hostess. Compliments Black Crescentan. Uh, it doesn't work. He rips the guy's arm off in proper Wookiee fashion. Uh, it just felt a lot like... Um, the whole scene, basically, from A New Hope with um, with Han, Chewie, uh, Obi-Wan and Luke, because it sort of, it was a bit of both, because you had sort of, you know, you had Obi-Wan taking Ponda Barber on the arm, and then you had Han paying off for Greedo, and you had a bit of both here with Black Cursetown taking off the arm and the <laughs> paying the credits to clean it up. So that was, that was a great scene for me, because it it combines sort of Wookiee lore with a bit of a throwback to the original trilogy. I also thought it was a bit of uh, Kurosawa sort of telling Garza Fripp, you don't control me. Because she sort of says, you know, if you put him down, I'll like, all your drinks are free. But, you know, he, he, you can see him, he pauses, he thinks about it, and he rips the arm off anyway. And like I said, he hands the credits over as if to say, don't you tell me what to do. I'll do what I want to do. Yeah, um, you can see his pride there. And also the fact, I think Black Cursed Town might be thinking, 
Trandoshans can actually regrow their limbs like a like a real reptile, so he probably thinks, ah, what the heck? It's not going to be permanent. And he could have pulled both off, but when he pulls one off, exactly, restraint. Yes. <laughs> and then we see uh, Kurosan leave, um, and then Boba sort of follows him out and asks him if he wants a job. So we're sort of hinting that Boba sort of put some muscle together to help for the upcoming war against the Pikes. Yeah, it's um, there's definitely a build-up here, which is what I think this episode needed. Um, and uh, Black Kurzastan, I, I don't know if I said that right again, but um, the whole scene with him, it, it's clear that he is going to become an ally of Boba's. Um, so definitely, I think it's clear from this episode onwards, he's going to be involved. Um, in whatever happens with the pikes, um, but the whole scene in itself, um, and I just loved the scene, the bit where after he's walked out, everyone's gone, and she turns and, um, what is it she says, hit it, hit it, Max or something like that. Cat, you must, you must have picked yeah. up that bit. Yeah, she did. Yeah, she says, yeah. Hit it, Max. And we, we, so we do get confirmation yeah. that that is Max is, Exactly, and it, the whole thing, and obviously, it's the it brings back memories of the old classics um, played against Sam, and it just, I, I love that whole scene. The whole, um, like you say, there was the throwbacks to a new hope. The whole thing was we're definitely on Tatooine. This is a time where you've got bar fights, you've got everything. And um, this scene, to me, was actually quite important in establishing the way the characters are interacting with each other. And also what was quite interesting is Garth Whip says, this is a more civilised time. Yeah. And and it's sort of the opposite of what Obi-Wan says uh, in A New Hope. Um, because it's she like- says something... She says something else as well. This is a more civilized time, and she says something else. I can't remember. This is quite quite remember the wording, but again, it's, all, it's 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 almost like the empire's gone. So the scum and villainy and all the corruption should be gone with it. Definitely, and you can sort of see that because her cantina is it's it's very luxurious. I mean, if you compare it to Mos Eisley. Exactly, it takes you. It takes you more to what we've seen um, in um, episode eight, isn't it? Um, yeah, it feels much more like um, Canto Bites. Well done. I I couldn't think of the name for a second there, but yeah, that to me was what it was feeling like, um, and it just it's like there's. This is the start of the relief. The Empire's gone, but then there's still problems about. I get the impression that Lucasfilm Disney are trying to drop the black from Black Kurosan because I noticed that Madame Fripp related to him as related to him as just Kurosan, and then they've yeah. got a um, I think they've got a emoji from on Twitter now. If you use the hashtag Kurosan. Yeah. But the black isn't there, which I suppose makes sense if you think about 
you know, you probably don't think about it, but I mean, you know, I'm a white person and I'm called Geordie Jedi Pete. Yeah. If I was black, I wouldn't be called Black Geordie Jedi Pete. Do you know what I mean? So no. I suppose, I, I don't know if that's actually a thing, but I've just noticed that, you know, in the marketing, they've dropped the name and then they've dropped the name from the episode where in the comic he was referred to as Black Curse Sam, wasn't he in the comic? Actually, like, written in text. Yeah, he yeah. was. Except by Dr. Afra, who always called him, him um, Santi. And I think that's actually what Garza Whip says. I think she says Santo. So I think they're sort of giving him his nickname now. No, I thought she called him Kurzenstan or Kurzenstan. No, I think, she, I think she shortened his name to a little, um, to a little nickname. I don't know. You have to rewatch it. Yeah, I'm gonna have to rewatch it like with the subtitles on because I'm sure she. Uh, I'm pretty. I'm name. pretty sure she just dropped the black, but that's. I I hundred percent heard her say, uh, Kristan. Yeah. Um, but whether she might refer to him more than once, do you know what I mean? Which so maybe she yeah. does use the name as well. Um, we also have in the modern day sequence, Boba has all of the crime families of Mos Espa over for tea. I love this. Oh my meal. gosh, love this. Love it. Catherine, take it away and tell us what happens. Oh, well, well, Boba Fett decides to go full godfather mode, he even gets the music, um, playing. And we get the four families round the table. They're talking about spice. Basically, we just have a full Godfather scene, but with Boba Fett and aliens rather than Italian mafia. And it is such a great callback to the classic. I think I think it's something that probably fans were expecting, especially as we do briefly see that table scene in um, the, the main trailer. And it links to Boba Fett, you know, setting up this crime family. Of course, he's going to have to bring in the other syndicates to have a very tense chat. And it just, oh, I get, I sort of just get, got goosebumps in this scene because it was just, oh, it was so good. I, and I the way he puts his table above the Rancor pit sends such was... a message. <laughs> it's eat with me or be eaten with, by the Rancor. Simple as that. I have to admit, I love this bit because of the way that, you know, when they say, well, you know, what's to make us do this? And then on cue, the Rancor puts its claw up through. And at the same time, we see the rat catcher droid jump with fright because he stood there working in um, Boba Fett's um, dining room. So I thought that was a nice link back then to what we'd seen previously in the flashback. That poor little leptroid needs counselling. They always do. They did in the Clone Wars. Actually, I think that's sort of it. The humour, actually, in the book of Boba Fett does remind me a lot of the humour from the Clone Wars. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's a lot more humour to what there was in Mandalorian. And I think that's hearkening more towards the Robert Rodriguez influence. Because if you look at the stuff that he's done... um, there's definitely a big, although obviously John Favreau's writing it and there's different directors, there's definitely a big Robert Rodriguez and a, um, imprint on this. And I think that, for me, is what's making it a little bit more enjoyable. 
I'm trying to figure out if Boba Fett has already trained his rancor to do that thing with the claw coming through the, the grate or if um, Danny Trecker was down below waiting for that exact moment to sort of wake up the rancor. <laughs> I think, I think yeah, it was, they chose to put the dining table on top of the rancor on purpose, um, you know, and I think I guarantee Danny Trecker was under there waiting for the queue. And then as soon as the queues come, you know, Danny Trejo's has probably walked around court and said, Rancor, you need to put your claw up there. And he's done it. Um, and it's worked perfectly. But yeah, they, they would have been, you know, Fennec and Boba would have chosen to put the dining table there, if that makes sense. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's it's like the biggest power play having the dining table above the Rancor pit. Because even if they did fall into the Rancor pit, we know Boba Fett would be fine because the Rancor sees him as Daddy Fett. So... Everybody else would be eaten, though. Yeah, definitely. And I think, um, you know, this is it, it's designed to get them back at the table, which it works perfectly. Um, and we sort of see, you know, the, the crime the crime families leave sort of with a understanding that all Boba said is, if the pikes come to you and ask you to betray me, stay neutral. I don't need you to be fighting me battles for us, but just stay neutral. Don't join them. Just stay neutral while I take care of them. I'm not convinced they're all going to stay neutral, though, because those Clytoonians seem shady to me. (laughs) There's always a betrayal. Definitely, and where there's money and spice involved, who knows? They all might betray me, you never know. Um, We then sort of see the end of the episode where Fennec asks him how big the sort of the treasure trove of Jabba's palaces and Fett tells her we've got plenty of credits and she sort of says credits can buy muscle um, and then we then get the Mandalorian theme song for a couple of beats before we go to credits this is um, awesome are they going to buy the Mandalorian to come help them it's it's a big telltale and I know Kat and I have discussed this at length and I think I'm definitely at the camp that we're going to see Mando um, I, and I have to admit, this is a big thing for me. Obviously, I'm reading a lot about the making of the Mandalorian at the moment, and obviously they've said that their biggest bugbear at the moment is that Pedro Pascal is tied to, and I can't remember the, the TV series, but he's tied to that, and his contract is more watertight on that than he is on the Mandalorian which is why they struggled with getting him to do the Mandalorian. So they've relied more on the stunt doubles. Is that true? Because surely when they signed him, they know what he's doing. I think because they weren't sure, because the two series almost started at the same time. And I think with the Mandalorian, I don't think they were fully convinced where it was going to go. So I think it was season by season whereas the other series and I cannot remember the name of the other series but they've literally I think they've tied him into something like six seasons so they've had real if it's been when they're filming that he hasn't been able to get out of contract um, which they've said is a big problem for John Favreau at the moment I mean- he, he, he wouldn't want to get out of contract, would he? Because that would be sort of bad to work with. Well, so if he's got a contract, he's going to fulfil his contract. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. Well, what I mean is that they've been trying to buy time. So when he's been off from filming that, 
rather than him being tied to waiting to start filming again, they've tried to get him in to do, and a lot of it obviously is voiceover work because then they've been using the stunt doubles, but that's not ideal because they wanted to try and have Pedro Pascal in the armour. Um, and I think also, especially with season three, because they'd started to show him without the helmet on, and I think that was going to be a part that they wanted to show with season three, and they've been sort of stuck that they couldn't show him without the helmet on mm. because obviously they've had to use stunt doubles. Um, Where's this from, Jason? Uh, if you don't mind asking, I've seen it on several different groups, and uh, this is the thing: it's not been reported on one group. I can't remember the name. The, the different what, groups. So it's in Facebook groups are like by reputable, or like, all like, on different, all different Star Wars groups that I've Fun seen. Pages, though, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so how true think, it I is? In, I think in season one it was a thing because we've seen it in the in the making of. Yeah. I think season two, you could tell it wasn't a thing. Um, I think for me, like if he does, if he's doing one TV show for three months a year, yeah, then you you, you book him for a different three months a year, and you know, as a and I multi, as a multi million dollar company, you know how to plan shooting. So I think I find that hard to believe. Um, I think where they've been caught out is with the COVID situation. Um, and they've been trying to juggle because obviously they've had shutdowns and situations like that. I think that's where the frustration's coming. I hope so. Just, I worry about if this is true, then like I worry about Lucasfilm being able to run itself. I like, I have to admit, I do. You know, to me, it seems silly that they didn't tie him in. Well, is that, it? Is it? I mean. If this is just, it could just be gossip, couldn't it? On fan groups. Oh yeah, it could it could be completely gossip? But I've I've seen it on so many different sites um, that they've said that this is the problem that he's tied into this one TV series that he started at around. I think it was around about the same sort of time, and obviously the Mandalorian. You know, the first season pre-COVID, they had it nailed. You know. We went in, we filmed, we had it all on um, the stage, everything was done, and then everyone went away whilst we did our magic. And I think where they got hit then was where COVID came in. They couldn't do it in the allowed time. Um, So it's just been a logistical nightmare. And I think that's where they're having the issues. But, obviously, if he comes into this series, which I can't see why he wouldn't, because, obviously, originally they were aiming to film The Mandalorian, and then they went the route of the Book of Boba Fett. Um, We already know that The Mandalorian was delayed sort of filming. So, it just... But I do. I'm pretty sure he's going to turn up in the, if not the next episode, by the end of the season. What other muscle do you think we're going to get hired apart from the Mando? That's that's one of the. What's really frustrating is the perfect one would have been Cara June. Um, but I think with everything that's happened there. I'd like to see Grief Carga turn up and sort out some bounty hunters. Although I know, obviously, he's not doing that sort of thing 
so to speak, now. But I just that would have been a nice to me that would have been a nicer link to the Mando than necessarily bringing because I think what we could see in the future of the Mandalorian is he's going to have a lot more going on with Bo-Katan and rebuilding Mandalore sort of thing. Um, you know, we've still got the option. There's a lot of bounty hunters out there. Are we going to get the likes of Bosk, um, Fulon, that sort of thing? Yeah, Kat, who do you think is going to be the muscle that help Boban Fennec? Yes, people are getting really sort of excited by the Mandalorian theme tune. I'm I'm not convinced it's going to be Din Djarin. Although, you know, it's the Mandalorian theme tune, that's the whole thing. I mean, it, it's the theme for the series. Because, I mean, I'm not convinced that Din Djarin can necessarily be bought. I mean... He, you know, he's a he's a Mandalorian. He's a he's a man of honor. If Boba Fett needed help, I, I think Din Djarin would just turn up. I don't think you'd have to pay him, because that's right. just you know who he is. Boba Fett helped him get Grogu back. Din Djarin comes and helps him with Tatooine if necessary. So I'm not as convinced that Din Djarin is going to turn up, because at the same time, I, I still think it would take away from it being about Boba Fett. If you bring Din Djarin in, suddenly it's about the Mandalorian. But I, I do wonder, could we could we see some of the other Mandalorians? Because the armorer is still alive. We know she's fine. And if anybody's going to sort of kick Pike butt, it would be her and her, uh, the remainders of her group. So it, maybe it could be them. And I, de- I definitely think perhaps we could see sort of the bounty hunters sort of coming together, like a coalition. So, yeah, you may have people like Dengar, Fulom. I wouldn't say Bosk, because putting Bosk and Black Kursitan in the same room is going to end up in disaster. We've seen what he's done to one Trandoshan already. Um, so I think, I, think, I think the reason we hear that music is maybe to a, for a tie-in to the Mandalorian, but I'm not convinced it's going to be the tie-in we're expecting. Could it be Mayfeld? Yeah, it could be him. I mean, he has some serious fire, firepower. As long as it's not that Twi'lek. Please don't bring that Twi'lek from the Mandalorian. Oh my gosh, no. <laughs> yeah, leave her in Harry Potter. Leave her on the prison ship, please. <laughs> If it was the Mandalorian doing Jaren, Boba might ask him, oh, where's the little fella? And then Din might say, oh, I left him with Luke Skywalker. And then we might see like an eyebrow raise from Boba. Yeah, but surely Boba should know by now because he was in on the whole escape or the whole setup of the last episode. Yeah, which he could. Was, but... Which could be interesting in itself, like you say, the whole Boba Fett and Luke Skywalker. You know, could they ever work together? Uh, considering that Boba Fett did try to capture Luke for Vader, I'm not as convinced. Yeah, but he, you know, he he's changed his spots, so to speak. So far, he's gone from being the bad guy to the good guy. I think perhaps morally grey guy might be the more accurate. 
is there anything we've missed that uh, you guys want to speak about the episode? For for me, that music I'm convinced is it's an obvious telltale. Um, we know that the series were going to link together. Um, I I, ha- I personally feel that it is going to be ginger. I can never say this din dinjaring or the Mando. That is my personal feeling. Um, but I could be proved wrong, and Wednesday will be the telltale sign for us all. Yourself, Kat, anything you've missed in the episode that we haven't spoken about yet? Uh, no, I think we've sort of covered a lot from this episode. I don't even have um, any fun facts for the end of this episode. I think I've already covered all the Easter eggs. So here's one from me. It's not so much an Easter egg. I didn't notice it in the past episodes, but this episode we got a full full on close up of uh Kristan's face. Um obviously you can see the scarring from the battle yeah. of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah, I noticed that in the they said about it in the first episode, but you really could see it in this episode. Yeah, it definitely thought, sort of adds to the realism of his of his mask. So I thought that was really cool. Um I have to admit, I've reassessed. I know previously I'd said I I wasn't happy with the way the character looked on screen, but after seeing him in this episode, yeah, they got it right, and I absolutely loved it. Jason, what's your thoughts for the next episode? What do you think is going to happen? I definitely think we're tying into the Mando. We're getting ready to go to war with the Pikes. Um, and I'm really looking forward to seeing. I've got a feeling we're going to have another short episode this week. I just think that's the way they're going. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what they come up with. Um, although they've obviously Boba's finished back to tank, like you say, I definitely think there's going to be some sort of flashback. Could we could even see a whole episode where we see him watching with Cobb Vanth, and then you know how he eventually goes to claim his armor? Um, I think there's going to be there's definitely going to be more tie-ins to Mando, um, but we're definitely heading towards the end game now. Could Cobb Vanth be the muscle? That is another option. You know, um, he certainly, you know, um, although obviously he's not got his armour anymore, but he's definitely an option. And um, there's so many, there's so many different muscle that he could pull in. But again, it's have you got the funds and are you going to get the right people? Kat, what's your thoughts for next episode? I can't wait to see now what's going to happen in episode five because I think the storm's going to break now and Boba Fett's got to get his his muscle together. We've seen how empty uh, Jabba the Hutt's palace is. He needs he needs a small army to take on the Pikes at the end of the day, and he needs skilled people to take on the Pikes. So it'll be exciting to see who exactly he calls upon. And I, I think, yes, I think there's going to be links to the Mandalorian, but I wouldn't. I think we're going to have 
perhaps some surprise cameos of muscle we, we weren't expecting? Oh, I've got a naughty one. What about Han Solo and Chewbacca? Oh, I. Who would be Han Solo? It, realistically, it'd have to be Harrison Ford. Um, but possibly de-aged, or could they do a mixture of the two? Um, but it would fit. They're both about at this time. Um, both got issues with the pikes. Yeah, but I mean, Han has got serious issues with Boba Fett at the end of the day. Yeah, but could it lead into the whole old Crimson Dawn thing? Well, I mean, a surprise cameo could also be, if we've got Black Kersitan, could we see um, Triple Zero and... Oh, BT. what was the other joint? BT. Yes. Could we Love see it. those two coming in? Oh, they'd be brilliant. That would I be... mean, the Pikes wouldn't stand a chance at that point. No. Um, uh, and if you... Well, they'd have to bring Dr. Aphra in at that point. And could we possibly see Dr. Aphra in live action for the first time? That would, that would be seriously cool and definitely something that I think we wouldn't be expecting. Exactly. That's, that's one thing. If they got that in under the radar, they'd have achieved a lot. What do you think about, obviously, a character who is alive right now is George Binks. Think he might rock up? <laughs> In some ways, because uh, I've talked about this before, um, having, speaking, having chatted with Oliver Ford Davies, because at my best, is to, he's a brilliant actor. Um, it's just, why did George Lucas t- turn him into a waddling duck? I don't know. Um, but it's a character that, to tell the truth, you know, after everything that's happened, he could be in a place that he could actually be quite helpful. Um, actually, after the events of the Empire in aftermath, I can't remember if it's life death, like life debt, or um, Empire's life, end. I think it's life debt, isn't it? The first, yeah, is that poor, the first one? No, it's the second one. Second, poor Dajar. Yeah is a outcast on on the boo he's got i think he's homeless he's been completely um barred from the gungan cities and he's basically a clown for the kids so yeah that's in the aftermath book one it's one of the um sort of chapters there that sort of tells the story of the situation they're in and it essentially tells the story of jar jar as he is in society now so it's like you know adults didn't like him when the phantom menace came out but that's because he was there for the kids, not for the adults. Um, and in this movie, um, in this book, you know, he's the adults don't talk to him because it's like, oh, he did something bad once, we think. We think he was something to do with the Empire and the, the end of the Republic, we think. Um, so, like, we don't talk to him. But, yeah, he's essentially a street performer who the only people who sort of talk to him and enjoy him are the children. Um, and I thought it was a very clever way of just saying, you know, you know, just because you don't get something doesn't mean you have to hate on it online and try and drive people to suicide, um, which is what the Star Wars fans did with um, Armor Best and with um, Jake Lloyd. Yeah. Um, you know what it's a bit like? You know, just because you don't enjoy it probably means it's not there for you, but there's something else there for you. Do you know what I mean? Jewel of Fate is there for you. 
But, you know, the little ones are going to enjoy this and they're going to love Jar Jar as a character. Um, I mean, I love Jar Jar. I, I wanted to see him explored again because I've, I always loved his character. He's just a goofball. And I, I don't know if you ever watched the... Um, is it the Jedi Trials... The... Yeah, the TV show. Ahmed Best was a brilliant Jedi. Oh, he was he was so brilliant. My two girls absolutely loved it, and they couldn't get around the fact that he was the actor that played Jar Jar Binks. Um, and I have to admit, as an actor, and as I said, having spoke to Oliver Ford Davies, and he said to me, the the abuse that he got if you'd have seen the work. And the craftsmanship that he put into creating that character, it was criminal the way people treated him. Because out of all the actors, and well, Oliver Ford Davies picked him out as his favourite character. Um, which, you know, it just goes to show that the actors that actually worked with him and saw how it was created, saw the work that went into it. Definitely. I'm glad I made that Jar Jar joke because we've got to speak about just how good um, Armour Best is. Yeah. Um, and why it's important to be nice to people. Um, any closing thoughts, Jason, on sort of what's happened so far in the series and what's going to happen next? But, uh, I, I'm i going to say it straight here. I've seen so much hate for this series online. And quite frankly, it's stop comparing it to The Mandalorian. It's come out of The Mandalorian, but it's a completely different series. Stop comparing it to what you've seen previously about Boba Fett. Disney and Lucasfilm threw that out the window. This is Jon Favreau, Robert Rodriguez, Dave Filoni, and all of the directors creating the story. In effect, they've created it for the fans, picking out a lot of the best bits that the fans like for the fans. So, if it's not what you want, switch off. But don't have a go at the guys that are trying to do what is, in effect. Uh, to me, it's been a really good series, full of fun, full of action. It's staying true to the characters, in my feeling. You know, Boba Fett, we've seen what he's done in the past. We've seen the character grow. What Dave, you know, when Dave Filoni brought him into the Clone Wars, people embraced it. So I cannot understand why now they're sort of turning against the whole thing. Because for me, this series is telling a worthy story. It's staying true to, in fact, it's probably one of the truest things to the original Star Wars. Um, what we've seen on Tatooine is the Tatooine that we all know. Um, so yeah, I'm to me, I'm just looking forward to seeing where the story goes and how it's going to progress. Maybe you need to get out some of those groups, Jason, because um, that's what I do. If I see stuff that just gets us down about it, I just leave leave the chatter, block the people who I don't, don't necessarily agree with. I I have to admit, I switch off from it. But I've just seen so many over the last week that I've actually I've, I've been disgusted with the fan community in some ways, um, because it's like I've said in the past, everyone's got their own tale to tell, um, and 
but just to have a go at the actors and the the different creators, I, I think it's completely wrong. Kat, what's some of your favourite things you've seen so far and what are you looking forward to in the future of the series? I, th- I think I think every episode is adding another another layer to each other. Just like this, it really, I think I'm understanding why they're calling it the Book of Boba Fett because the fact that each chapter adds to the history of Boba Fett, to what's going on right now, it, it is acting like a book. And I think... What we're, what we're seeing is we're seeing in the comics, in the original trilogy, in some of the novels, we've seen Boba Fett as a bounty hunter. But ever since falling into that Sarlacc and managing to get out, you know, Boba Fett has realised he's been given a very special second chance. He's sort of had this rebirth. And that's what we're seeing now. We are seeing the fact that Boba Fett has realised he has got the second chance. And the line I particularly loved was, the Tuscans taught me that you can't get far without a tribe. Boba Fett is done with being a loner. He realises he needs other people. He needs his own tribe to succeed. And, and that's what he's doing. Yeah, he's making a mob family. But at the same time, he's making a real family. Fennec, he trusts with his life. She's a loyal ally. He's He's got his droids he's got his loyal gamorians um he's now got his loyal rancor and that's what he's trying to do he's trying to he's trying to bring this sort of motley tribe of all these different species humans aliens together and i I think yeah it's it's this found family and i think that's one of the most powerful tropes within storytelling Definitely. Definitely, that's essentially what Star Wars is. You know, Luke and Leia find each other. They become a found family. Star Wars Rebels, you know, the crew of the Ghost are a found family. Um, you know, Ray and Finn bump into each other and then both are bumping into the Resistance and they become a found family. So sort of found family is what we find throughout Star Wars. You know, Anakin gets found by accident, you could say, um, by Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan. He joins them, you know, and they meet Padme, you know, found family. So it's sort of Star Wars, like Portia Rhymes, as George used to say, and, you know, perfect examples in this show where it's continuing that um, that tradition. Um, to wrap it all up, I know that, I don't know about you guys, but I love lightsabers and UK <laughs> dealer, UK dealer Padawan Outpost has something going on, Jason, if you want to tell the listeners about it. Yeah, um, obviously, Padawan Outpost, shut down over christmas um the the company as a whole is run by uh, i'm not sure if it's husband or wife or a partnership duo but they shut down over christmas they've reopened um and at the moment they're running a really fun thing on facebook where you've got the chance to win um their version of ahsoka tano's twin sabers um so it's a case of going on to their site liking sharing standard facebook sort of thing but i do want to put it out there that these guys are completely genuine um i've purchased twice off of these guys um pete's purchased off of them as well and i can't fault them for the service and that um and obviously yeah they're they've got this giveaway going at the moment runs till the 31st i believe 
and then they're going to run from 9pm that night a quiz sort of get together on Facebook um, where they're going to do a few giveaways as well so just hit up Paddle on Outpost um, they've got some really good products and just to me 100% service I don't know what you think about it Pete but yeah I just hope the guys you know 2022 i hope is going to be a really good year for them yeah so you know if you want a chance of winning some lightsabers having some fun with the star wars quiz go on to facebook search paddle i'll post make sure you give them a follow and a like and the instructions for the contest will be on there um jason where can the people find you on social media um i'm back in action at hondo ling um and I've actually been getting a bit of a response on Twitter, so I'm happy, even if it was from one of my cousins. And Kat, where can people find you on social media? You can find me at Kat Kylo, both with K's, on Twitter. Always happy to talk anything Star Wars or Kylo Ren. And you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Jordy Jedi Pete. You can find the podcast on TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram at Star Wars Podcast. And you can find the podcast on Twitter at Boars Star. If you are listening on Spotify, you can now rate us five stars. So please go ahead and do that. It just helps other people find the podcast. And, you know, if you're listening on iTunes or Google Podcasts or CastBox or any other app that allows you to rate the podcast, please think about leaving us a five-star review or whatever the top star review is. Um, again, it just helps people find the podcast going forward. But guys, thank you very much for, for joining us. Always a pleasure. Good to speak. Been a blast as usual. I can't wait to get to next week's episode so we can talk about that because I think it's all going to go down in the next episode. It's going to be very fun, very hectic. Um, listeners, thank you very much for listening. May the force be with you all. And remember, always tell that to Kanja Club. Hello, Star Wars listeners. This is Savannah Odit. You might know me as host of the Dorky Diva Show with my co-host Brian Balance. I am also producer of The Adventures of the Zolan Dart, which is a Star Wars-inspired audio drama that we produced over the last year. If you love stories uh, about smugglers, courage, heroic characters, and maybe a few foes along the way, you should go to thedorkydivashow.com and listen to The Adventures of the Zolan Dart today. Shout! We've got your pigs. Were any of the critters harmed? What did you do now? I didn't do anything. I just freaked out for no reason. It was nice doing business with you again. Maybe next time we could deliver something less... Temperamental. <laughs> now, what you call temperamental, I call fun. Hey, is there a place nearby where I can make some repairs? Uh, oh yeah, three clicks south of here, you'll find a small spaceport. Uh, they, they should have what you need, as long as it's nothing too big. Dynamic class. My stars, you don't hear about many of those still being spaceworthy. It's been in my family for a while. She's pretty great. Uh, any chance you have a hovercart we can use to load up? I'll check out the holonet to see if anything new has come up in the sector. My name is Sereth Khan. I am the chief here on Gamai. My people and I have been experiencing food shortages as of late due to unforeseen natural occurrences. We are looking to hire someone. I say we take this one. The pay is great and it's the type of job we're familiar with. 
Welcome, welcome. You must be Captain Otoa. I've already sent word to Pak to expect you in the next cycle or so. You told him we were coming before we even accepted the job. That's rather presumptuous, isn't it? Uh, perhaps, though once I received confirmation that you are interested and on your way here, I couldn't help but hope. Fair enough. Well, we'll be back as soon as we can. Well, that's not good. Is that blaster fire I hear? Ah, so you're the one. Captain, it sounds like they want to do this the hard way. <laughs> I love when they got some fight in them. Oh, this is bad. This is bad. We're about to have a lot of company. I'll see you soon. <laughs>